Last week when I went home from this series, I was feeling um, quite uneasy. Uh, by the way, my name is Blair. If you're new here, I do some of the teaching around here. We're in a series that's based in Genesis where we're looking at some important stuff. And uh, we've been moving along pretty quickly, and it was part of why I was uneasy. One of the things that we have um, always made a point here for years and years is what we really care about is finding a way to make the truths that we find in the scriptures practical for you. This is not just ideas and theories that we want to look at. We want it to change our lives, change the way we think, change us. And when we're moving so quickly, one of the things that I was shortchanging was the practical stuff. And so I was really, I was wrestling with this because there was a lot of great ideas. There was stuff that we should be churning over and thinking about. But I just didn't know if we were getting there. So I made a call to somebody and talked to them. I made a call to somebody else and I was processing this, and then I had an experience that kind of um, helped cement the change that we're about to make. A week before Christmas, our refrigerator died, and uh, we called the technician out, and it was under warranty, which was great news, but he kind of led us to believe that this was going to take three weeks or more to fix. And we'd been putting ice in the refrigerator to hold it and then cleaning up the water off the floor in the morning. And we realized we could not do that for three weeks. So I went out to Menards and I got a little refrigerator um, that would hold us over. And we just said, hey, once we're done with it, it'll become our backup. And sure enough, it took about three weeks. It got fixed. And then that replacement refrigerator sat in our dining room for a week. She wanted it in the basement. And because it hadn't ended up in the basement, she then put it in the hallway for a week. And so every time you would go down the hallway, you'd have to go like this to get that message received, right? I knew it had to go somewhere. And last week, Hezekiah came home. And I thought, this is my chance. The three of us guys, we can get this thing down the stairs. So um, pulled off the hinges on the door, got it in there. I'm on the stairs side. We pull it all the way out to the edge of the stairs. We go, ready? lift and we set it down and as soon as we set it down on the one step Hezekiah goes that's one I was like oh my we do the next one that's two and I thought to myself oh no we're not doing this like this is taking too long and I'm not going to hear him count down the stairs the whole way and Tracy's not home so I can come up with whatever plan I want right now and I did and I said listen boys I'm going to pull the refrigerator out on my side, and we're going to set it down on the stairs, and I'm going to glide it down the stairs so that we can speed this thing up, right? They're protesting, but I'm in the driver's seat. I can do whatever I want. I'm on the downside of this refrigerator. My plan missed two important factors, the weight of the refrigerator and the law of gravity, right? Details. As soon as I laid that thing down, it started to boot, scoot, and boogie. And I realized it didn't matter how much pressure I put on the refrigerator. It was pushing me down the stairs. And this is all happening very quick because gravity was not cooperating. And the thought came to mind, if I fall right now, this is probably not going to stop. This is, could be a problem. And so I changed my whole tactic, and I abandoned the refrigerator, and I decided to make it to the bottom of the stairs before the refrigerator did, right? I made it to the bottom of the stairs at the same time the refrigerator did, which means that it hit me 
knocked me over, and then plowed me along the basement floor for a little ways. The boys are running down the stairs like there's a I've fallen and I can't get up situation, right? Like, hey, I'm old enough to have been taken by an appliance before, boys. I know what to do here, right? Once again, proving that age and wisdom have nothing to do with each other. But we got that thing up. It looked fine. And here, you know what's so awesome about this? Tracy is sick this morning. She still has no idea. She's not going to hear about this. Look at me finding the good and the bad. This is awesome, right? So I'm sitting in my, I'm still actually nursing parts of my body that aren't quite right yet. But I'm sitting in my chair a little over an hour after this has happened when the Spirit of God kind of says this to me. This is what you're doing with the Genesis series right now. You're going so fast, you care about getting through this, and if you're not careful, you're going to go buy some stuff, and you may end up doing more damage than you did good. Why can't you slow down? This is a really good question. Um, so I came in on Monday, and I looked at stuff, and I realized if, if I were doing this differently, this week and the next three weeks would all be on Cain and Abel. So that's what we're going to do. Um, I've already looked ahead. I've uh, found a series that I'd only done some reading on. I don't have anything else into it at this point. And so in May and June, we're going to come back to this and pick up the other weeks. They're going to get left out. In fact, we're going to expand a few of those as well and have a little bit more time on that. And um, the reason I want to do this is because we're talking about foundational ideas here. And when I say that, what I mean is um, God was talking to his people and saying, I need you to understand this because if you get this, it'll change the way you think and live. And I'm convinced that's true about this, this content right now. If you'll understand what God wants to communicate, it will change the way you live and think. That's what I'm hoping to do. So I'm really excited that we're about to slow it down, digest it differently, and go about this. The, uh, the song that the band just played, uh, Low Life, was actually picked out when we were going to do Cain in one week. We're going to try and stuff it all in and um, try to highlight a few things here and there. And I felt like the song did a really good job. If you would go and watch the video to that song, it's a guy sitting at a bar. And it becomes apparent to you that he has wrestled over his lifetime with the use of alcohol. And some, something has happened with him, and he is having a rough moment, and he's got a drink there, and he's trying to decide if he's going to take it or not. And towards the end of the song, he decides, I'm just a lowlife. There's nothing I can do to help myself this is just who I am, and it shows him taking that drink and going off the wagon again. It's a, it's a powerful video, and it made me, when I saw it, it made me think of Cain. I wonder as you see the trajectory of his life, the choices, the way he thought, all of that kind of stuff, if there was a part of Cain that thought, I can't help myself from falling. This is who I am, kind of a low life. And I'm just acting based on what I know and who I am. And the question is, how 
did Cain get that way? What did he do? What was he thinking? What was happening in his life that caused him to make some awful decisions? Because just think about this for just a minute. We're one generation away from the garden, a garden that God had planted, made good, put his creations in it, gave them drives to go and create and be a part of that incredible place. And now they're out of it. And one generation later, we find ourselves in a field with a brother killing another brother. And the story is communicating. If you miss it, don't. To move yourself away from God opens you up to going to places you could never imagine. In the initial part of the story, could you ever have imagined two brothers killing each other with all this incredible place, with God walking with them in the garden, and yet we find ourselves here. And so we're going to take some time to figure out what happened with Cain. I want to suggest to you that the stuff that happened with Cain happened early. I want to read to you the verse that we're going to spend our whole morning on, which is going to be a little odd. You're going to go, how can we spend a whole morning on that? Well, turns out this one verse has some translation problems, just like the other ones had. It's, again, the translators had a hard job. They were trying to find a way to make sure that you understood things, and there's something really odd in this verse. And because it was odd, it was unexplainable, it was hard to, they, they translate it in a way so that you could understand stuff, but in taking the oddity out, they prevented us from tripping over the verse and going, whoa, that's weird, why is it said like that? And so we're going to go back and we're going to put that in, and then we're going to wrestle through what's going on there. So let me read you the verse. This is Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, will the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Now, uh, when you read this verse, you can almost um, understand that as a background verse, that you just, need, you just need to get some information here before we get to the main part of the story where things get good. And because we have read it like that, we've moved past this verse pretty quickly. But I want you to see what it says in the Hebrew. I'm going to put it up on the screen and then I'm going to read it. Eve conceived and bore Cain, and she said, I have acquired a man with God. Mike and Megan uh, just had a baby a little bit ago. They had uh, some difficulty having their third, and so I wanted to go and visit them and just see how they were doing. And so I went into the hospital, and I wonder what you think my reaction should be. If when I walked into the hospital, Megan looked at me and the first words out of her mouth were, look at this baby I've acquired. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you think, did she buy the baby? Or did she go and take the baby from another bassinet? I mean, what are we talking about acquiring here? We translated it, brought forth. What it says is they were acquired those, my friends, are very different words with very different implications. And if this word is right, acquired is right, 
Maybe we're going to need to spend some time on figuring out, and I want to suggest to you um, that it's a big part of this story, because let me ask you this question. Um, do you guys know what the word Cain means, his name? I have, I have uh, concordances I use online. So I, I have a lexicon that I go to, and I can look at Greek and Hebrew words and just say, what's the meaning? And I went and looked up, what's the meaning of Cain? And you know what it said? This is the firstborn of Adam and Eve. I was like, yeah, we know that. What's it mean? There's no meaning. Some of your Bibles might say that it means spear. It does not mean spear. Uh, rabbis have wrestled with this over some time, and they've come to this conclusion. Let me show you this. The word acquire, can we put up what that means, is kaneti. And uh, they said, listen, that's the base word that you see when you see the word acquire in the scriptures. And Cain sounds a little bit, it's not a word, but it sounds like kayani. And the best that they can come up with is that this is either a paraphrase or a creative way to come up with acquired. Now listen, this, this is weird. Because in our culture, we do name names for creative things. People want to come up with something fancy that's cool and all that sort of thing. In the ancient world, they weren't trying to come up with something cool. A, a name meant something. You attached it to somebody on purpose. And the rabbis have said, the best we, th we can come up with for the meaning of this word is that he acquires. He acquires. Eve is so enamored with this idea of acquiring that she names her son after the concept. Maybe we should pay attention to what's happening here. Not only does Eve say, I acquired, she says, I acquired with God. Which, I mean, this raises a few questions, like, where's Adam in this? I suppose if you went and asked Mike, uh, Mike, in the last nine months of Megan's pregnancy and during the delivery, how much did you have involvement? And he would say, <laughs> at best, I was a helper, right? And... At worst, I was, I was just there. And so what's Eve talking about here when she says, I, I did this with God? Um, God had created mankind with the ability to create. They'd been in the garden and they'd used that ability. We know Adam named the animals. That, that was a creative um, kind of thing. We know they worked in the garden. I kind of wonder... Um, I had this thought this morning. I kind of wonder if they planted in the garden, which means God also planted in the garden, which might make sense when you start to see where we're going today. But you have this combination of them doing some work that would have been creative. But if you want a topper, if, if you want to see, like, the essence of creation, it's Eve having a baby, knowing that God had created a womb where that where that baby could grow and be safe and then come out. And she was amazed by this. And she's celebrating. But here's what's weird. She's celebrating acquiring. She's not celebrating creating. Why? What's happening here? Well, um, this idea of acquiring 
has to it a tone of ownership. Doesn't it? I, I now own this. And before you think that all ownership is a bad thing, I know you've been on sports teams or you've been on a work team at, at your uh, place of business or maybe you're serving with somebody in a place where you're all volunteering together and somebody said this. I wish we would just own this. I wish everybody would own this. Like they would treat it like it was their business. They would treat it like it was their team. They would have a sense of pride in how this would work out. What's that kind of ownership look like? That's somebody who cares deeply about something. They want to see something good come out of that. And if that's the way Eve feels, wouldn't we want that? Wouldn't we want any and every mom to feel that way? This matters to me. I care deeply. The question is, what happens if it goes further than that with ownership? See, if it's further than that, it then becomes this thing that you want to control, that you think you have the most responsibility for, that you can choose to worry about, direct, carry some fear about, because it's yours. And the question is, is there a hint anywhere here in the text that would help us understand what Eve's mindset is? How does she feel about this? There is. It's one little word. Seems like it should be a throwaway word in this sentence, too. It's the word with. The word with. It's a utility word. How in the world can that impact anything? Well, in our language, we have one meaning for with. But in the Hebrew, there were two, which is weird. Why do you need two words to say with? It's like, um, in this case, it's like vanilla ice cream and French vanilla ice cream. You could get away with saying they're both vanilla, but you know that's not right. One's a little different on purpose. And that's exactly what we've got going here. So the first word for with in the Hebrew that would be the most common is im. I am. So if you go and you read through your text and you come across the word if, most of the time that's going to be I am. Common use of the word. Now, um, you could also find on occasion the word et, E-T. And uh, this word, 10% of the time, would be just like you would use im and how we use the word with. Very common usage. But 90% of the time, it means something else. And here's the problem. Well, how are translators supposed to translate this? Because in the English, there's no counterpart. You have to describe the concept. There's not a word. There's not an idea. So let me help you with this. Let me help you understand how this would have worked. If we, um, in our culture, say... I hit the ball, you understand that there's a relationship between me and the ball. I hit the ball, we're connected. It's all part of the same thing. But in the Hebrew, they didn't make that assumption. And so they would say, I hit at the ball. So that you would know that the ball was with you when you hit it. It was a link, it was a bridge to know that they're connected with each other. 
But here's the, here's the thing. It does more than just link. Let me help you understand what these two words do differently. M says, hey, there's some companionship here. It's, I'm with this person. We're equals in this. In, in the pursuit of this, we're co-subjects. You would find that both of us were part of this team, partners, so to speak. But if you use the word et, you're communicating something different. You're communicating a subservience. You are not equals. One of you is a subject, and one of you is an object, a tool to be used by the subject. Guess which one we find in this section of Scripture? See, if Eve wanted to communicate that this child who was born deeply mattered to her, that she cared about him, she could have easily said, M, I was with God. We did this together. We're co-subjects. We're, we're equals in this process. We partnered together. But that's not what she says. She says, et. Imagine, if you will, somebody that you know, they're brilliant. They're an inventor. And, and they're, I mean, off the charts brilliant. And they come up with a teleportation device that's handheld. It's going to change the world. You don't need a car anymore. You just have to dial. You can live anywhere you want and just teleport yourself to work. You can teleport yourself home from work. The thing is, it's incredible science. It's brilliant. It's amazing. One flaw, it's so fragile. Every time it gets used, it breaks. And they come to you. Because what you're really good at is you understand plastics and glass. And you get, to, you get to talking to them about the complexity of this thing. And you figure out, if I create a case that does this, this, and this, and it's put together this way, this thing won't break anymore. And sure enough, your case works. And this is exciting. You realize this has some... Mass market appeal. You're going to be able to sell this. And so they form a company. Hornsworth and whatever your last name is, just imagine it in lights. LLC. And you start selling this thing. Millions of people are interested. It's exciting. It's changing the world. It's dynamic. Until one day. You look at that. It kind of bothers you. Because without your case, this thing wouldn't have changed the world. Without your case, this doesn't go to market. Without that case, you think this is worthless. Like if I asked you how teleportation worked, you would go, I don't care, it doesn't matter. My case made all the difference in the world. And you start to be irritated that you're not at the top of the name of this company. Like you think, because of what you did, you should get more credit. You should have more prestige. 
You should have more money. You should have more ownership. The name of the company should have your name first. Crazy, right? I mean, you had a little part of this. Crazy for you to think that that would be the way it should be. It is crazy. It's exactly what Eve did with God. Eve looked at this amazing desire that God had given her to create. And when she created, she looked at God and said, I used you to get this job done. You're a good tool for me. I am the primary subject of this story. You are the secondary. Now, what's risky here is that we can very quickly look at Eve and go, what is her problem? Can you believe that? Can you believe that woman doing that? I I just want to suggest to you, if you would just pause for a little bit and consider the things that God has given you a desire to create. For some of you, um, what you have the ability to create right now is incredible schoolwork. You do a really good job. Or you're on a, a, a sports team, and, you're, and you want to be great at that. Some of you have started a business. Some of you have been building a career. Some of you have been putting together friendships. And others, you've started a family, and you have this stuff going on. And there's a part of you that comes along and thinks... I care about this more than God does. I care about this thing that's now in my life more than God cares about this thing. And so he becomes a secondary player in your story. He becomes somebody that you, oh, no, I pray. I pray to God, but when I pray to God, I'm praying for him to do exactly what I want to do because I know what the outcome should be. I'm in control. I have a good understanding of this. And when I don't get my way, when I pray and God doesn't do what I want him to do, I think he's got the problem. You don't understand how important this is to me. You don't understand how this needs to work out. You don't get it. I care more. I'm just telling you, I think I've experienced this myself with lots of different things. I care more about this church, God. I care more about my family, God. I care more about fill in the blank. And somewhere along the line, Eve missed this and so did we. That in this process of co-creating, of being partners, of coming alongside God, we miss that God cares more. God cares about your career more than you do. He cares about your business more than you do. He cares about your grades more than you do. He cares about how you play on that sports team more than you do. And if you're wondering why, why does he care about my family more than I do? How can that possibly be? Goes back to the garden. 
Why was he doing all of this? Why did he give you these things that drive you, these engines that are in your life, these desires? It's a place where God intersects your life, where God's boundaries and wisdom, his love and guidance begin to shape who you are. And people can see God's goodness through your life based on how you live. And because God cares deeply about the partnership that he has with you, he cares more. But it's hard for us to imagine. And so God becomes, for many of us, this important tool that we have in our bags. But we're going to carry the worry. We're going to carry the fear. We're going to carry the sense of control over that thing that we care about and we're going to cross the line just like Eve did. And we're going to look at ourselves as the primary in the story that God's writing instead of, you guys, God could have made himself the primary and us the object and he chose to make us created in his image. He chose to bring us in as partners on this adventure of life. And for many of us, that's not enough. I've got to be in control. I've got to shape the outcome. This is mine primarily first. Now listen, what happens to a life that thinks like that? Because we know that Cain was given the name he acquires, and he's going to live his life acquiring. And we're going to see how it shaped his thoughts, his ideas, and ultimately the decisions and choices that he makes. And it's going to be some lessons for us, but it starts with how he viewed God and how he viewed this partnership that he had with God. I hope you'll come back over the next few weeks as we dive into this. We're going to take a week off, and then we're going to get back to and do three more weeks of this in Cain. And I hope, I hope you'll come back and process this stuff. Think about this stuff. Lay out the desires that you've experienced in your life and ask yourself, do you see yourself as the primary or not? Has God become a tool for you or is he a partner in your life? Can I pray with you? Uh, God, I just want to start by saying thank you. Um, we are nobodies. And despite that fact, you created us in your image. You made us representatives of you on this earth so that we would have this chance, have an opportunity to show people the wisdom of God, the goodness of God through our lives. We get to do this. We get to do it with you. And too many times, we look at these things that you've given us an opportunity to do that are so incredible and good and we go too far, we become the owner. We become the one who should be in control.
you become our servant. And we miss out on what life really could be. God, there is meaning and purpose to be found in partnership with you. And I just ask that you would open up our hearts and minds as we look at our lives and we can start examining where have I pushed God to the periphery in my life? Where have I set him aside and not brought him to the forefront so that I could reflect God's goodness to the world? I ask you to help us to be honest as we seek these questions. In Jesus' name, amen.